The Word is at the center of who we are as human beings, but especially it becomes clear when we are in worship that the Word is at the center of who we are. And this morning we're going to continue in the book of John. The book of John was written to answer the question, who is Jesus? And not just to answer that question, but to compel you to believe. If this sermon does not tug at your heart in some way, if it does not compel you to listen and to consider Jesus, the sermon is a failure. The reason I say that is because John says that's the reason he writes. And that is also the reason I speak to you this morning, beginning with the Word of God from John chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 22 through 30. Hear the Word of God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Aon near Salim because water was plentiful there, and the people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless it this morning as I preach it to you. On January 23rd of this coming year, our church will be hosting a one-day conference for pastors and their wives. It is entitled, Walking with Your Congregation Without Losing Yourself. That topic is very important, and I want you, if you are able, to invite pastors that you know to come. But there's a reason why I'm telling you about it now. And I want to reference the April edition of Christianity Today that was published just a few months ago. In that particular edition of the magazine, there is an article in which the writer talks about the great quit that he had observed in most American workers post-pandemic. Many of you are part of businesses. Maybe you own a business or you're a worker who has changed jobs or you've watched your employees change jobs. There's never been a point, as far as we can tell, in American history where more workers have changed jobs than in this last year. The writer says the same was expected by pastors post-pandemic. Many of them would quit. But here's the interesting thing. Although some did, most did not. In fact, the worry of the article is not that pastors are going to quit. No, the author says the worry is that there are full pulpits with empty pastors. The energy, the strength, the passion, these are now gone. And one of the big reasons for this full pulpit with empty pastors, one of the reasons that exists is disappointment. 
In the past three years in our congregation, we have seen a significant number of people leave and a significant number come. If you come in the last three years, welcome, glad you're here. But also know a significant number of people have left for a whole variety of reasons, many times unknown reasons to me. And you will know when people leave, the losses hurt. These are friends. These are people you know. You feel that. And so do I. I really feel it. But friends, what if the problem is not the losses, but the way that we perceive the losses? What if the losses in our lives of any sort hurt so badly Not simply because of the fractured relationships, but because of the shattered expectations. And if there is any place in the Bible where the centrality of Christ runs right into the expectations of ministry, it is here in this section from John chapter 3. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. That all Christian ministry must be about Jesus. That's not surprising. All Christian ministry must be about Jesus. Here's the surprising thing that becomes apparent in verses 22 to 30. Because all Christian ministry must be about Jesus, we can rejoice even when ministry decreases. Let me explain that to you, starting with that phrase that may be the most surprising. We can rejoice even when ministry decreases. And I want to jump into this section and explain to you what's happened, even if, happening even if you've not been here before. Near the beginning of this chapter in John 3, there is the famous story about Nicodemus coming to Jesus because he has a question for him about this new birth. After Jesus answers that question, he takes his disciples into the countryside. It's not, in clear, it's not entirely clear from our translation But the point that is being made at the beginning of our section in verse 22 is that Jesus goes into the countryside because he wants to spend time with his disciples. And in the same area in which Jesus goes to spend time with his disciples, there is John the Baptist with his disciples. Do you realize that early on in the Gospel of John, as much time is given to John the Baptist as is given to Jesus? He is that central of a character. And John the Baptist, as his name indicates, has been baptizing. And now he learns that Jesus is also. And an unknown Jew comes to John the Baptist's disciples with a question about purification. Really, it's about ritual purification, the kind of purification that existed in the Old Testament. The Jew wants to know about this ritual purification and how it applies to what he observes with John the Baptist and with Jesus. What does that ritual purification have to do with the baptism that these two men seem to be practicing? And it goes beyond just what's happening to who is doing the baptizing. Here's the question that John the Baptist's disciples ask in verse 26. They said, look, Rabbi... The one you talked about, this Jesus, is on the other side of the Jordan. He is also baptizing. And more importantly, people are going to him instead of to you. In fact, it looks like everybody's headed to Jesus instead of to you. You can imagine the question that John the Baptist's disciples intend to ask. 
It's not just a statement, all are going to him. Look, that's what they say at the end of verse 26. It is not a statement of mere information. More accurately, it is a statement of disappointment or even fear. They all have been going to you, John. Now look, they're going to Jesus instead. This is the kind of fear that a pastor might feel when he, he senses someone has not been in worship for a number of weeks and then he hears through the grapevine that they're considering going to a different church. It's that kind of fear. Or maybe it's a sort of fear that happens when the budget is lagging behind significantly. Or maybe it's the kind of fear that a pastor has when one pastor talks to another pastor and is humble bragging about how many people are coming to his church. This is the sort of fear that John the Baptist's disciples are communicating to John. It is a fear rooted in failure. It is a fear rooted in a lack of success. The impression that all the wrong things are happening and the right things are not. And you can totally understand why John the Baptist might be thinking, of the, thinking this. Before all the crowds were going to him. Now all the crowds are going to Jesus. Attendance is down at John the Baptist's baptism services. And they're up at Jesus's. How can that be good for John the Baptist? It is with that sort of picture in mind that we read verse 27. There John the Baptist says, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Now let me just tell you this morning, that's totally true, no matter what you're experiencing in life. Not one thing can come to you, not one thing can you receive unless it is given to him from heaven, that is, from God himself. And if we can't rejoice even when ministry decreases, we must understand what John the Baptist is saying. The way he puts it makes it clear it is a general aphorism that is being applied to this situation. Let me read to you a little bit from Psalm 127. Because there that general aphorism about all of life is said very clearly. The psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, you know what the phrase is, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to go to bed late, eating the, boil, uh, the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. The critical words in Psalm 127 is this, unless the Lord. And that is very simply what John the Baptist is saying to his disciples. All of this, all of what I've experienced, all of my ministry is rooted in unless the Lord. If the Lord doesn't do it, if this does not come to me from heaven, in fact, there is nothing that comes to me apart from what God gives. Well, then listen, he says to his disciples, unless that is true, you will not be able to make sense of the reality that you're observing. This unless the Lord, again, applies not only to your life and your work and your finances and your friends and all of that, John the Baptist applies this general aphorism now to the church specifically. The gains and the losses, the successes and the failures, all of these, he, say, he says, comes from the hand of the Lord. I am not saying this morning 
that our work is not important. That's not the point that John the Baptist is making. It is important, just not in the way that we imagine. We like to think that we put in a certain amount of effort and we get a direct response. John the Baptist is saying, that's not it. It is the Lord who chooses to bless in the time and the way that he determines. We work because we desire to serve this God, not because there are predictable, guaranteed outcomes. And if you're able to say with me, both in life and in the church, I cannot receive one thing unless it is given to me from heaven, then you can rejoice. You can rejoice in good times and bad when ministry is increasing. Praise the Lord. There are many instances of that we've observed in our body. Praise the Lord. And you can even praise God when ministry decreases. The other half of rejoicing when ministry decreases, I said at the beginning, is that this is possible only when that ministry is about Jesus. And this is the second thing I want to show you very clearly from this passage. This is the point that John the Baptist is making. His ministry is decreasing so that the ministry of Jesus can increase. And he is saying, I can view that with joy only because all of ministry is about Jesus. Maybe that sounds confusing to you, but let me explain. It is not enough, friend, for us to accept the decreases in life with a stiff stiff upper lip. That is not Christianity. Simply to accept it as true or to plow our way through it or to say it's fine or I can make it to the other side on my own. That's not Christianity. That's paganism. You don't need faith to accept that things are against you. You just need to be realistic. You need faith in order to believe that even in times of trouble, someone is for you because someone has the power and the grace in order to care for you. And friend, in order to hear what this passage says about accepting ministry decrease, we must also hear something else. The thing that I'm emphasizing to you now, all of ministry is about Jesus. Look at the point that the Baptist is making in verses 28 through 30. He says in verse 28, You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. The one who is the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist had been saying from the beginning that he was not the Christ, that he was pointing to one who was coming after him. You can see that in chapter 1, verse 20. You can see that again in chapter 1, verses 26 through 34. When people ask John the Baptist, who are you? Where did you come from? He said, I am not the Christ. In fact, I would be honored to unloose the sandal of the one who is the Christ. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. Now he compares his role to the best man at a wedding. You've all been to a wedding. There is the bride and the groom. The whole thing is about the bride and the groom. If I were to tell you this morning that the most important people were the best man and the attendants, you'd say to yourself, you don't understand the way weddings work. The best man is not 
the central character. But I want to show you that what John the Baptist says, using that language, would have communicated impressive things to these Israelites who were hearing him speak. Because what he is saying is rooted thoroughly in the Old Testament. And it specifically points us to the greatness of the Messiah. Let me read for you just one passage from Isaiah 62, verses 4 and 5. They are the Israelites who were in captivity were given these words from Isaiah. It says, You shall no longer be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed, be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land shall be called married, for the Lord delights in you. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. You hear what the prophet is saying to these Israelites very clearly. He is saying to those who are listening here, the disciples of John the Baptist, he is saying to them, this prophecy from Isaiah 62 today is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus has come. The one who is the groom looking to marry his bride, that's the one that's on the other side of the Jordan baptizing there. He is the one who can bring those who are forsaken and desolate to to be in the place where they are delighted in, cared for, and belonging. He has arrived. Go to him, John the Baptist is saying. To put it more succinctly, The last prophet, John the Baptist, is saying in simple words, all of this is about Jesus. It's never been about my work. It's never been about me. That's not the point. It is the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah. And therefore, he can say in verse 29, my joy is complete now that Jesus has come. I may be decreasing as he is increasing, but my joy could never be fuller because Jesus has arrived. Would you confess with me this morning that often we do not want that to be true? Maybe I should just speak on my own behalf. If it came right down to it, I would much rather have the increase of my own ministry than the decrease of that ministry. And if my work decreases, I am far more grieved than I am filled with joy when I see the work of Jesus increasing in other places. But maybe you say to me, Pastor, it sounds like an artificial dilemma. It doesn't have to be one way or the other. Cannot your ministry increase as the ministry of Jesus is increasing? It can In fact, it often does. In fact, I rejoice to stand before you this morning and to say, I see that happening, praise the Lord. This is not simply about what we can observe. John the Baptist is going much, much deeper. He is saying it goes to the heart of what we are expecting. He is saying that his joy in the centrality of Jesus is so important, it matters so much, that even if it were require him to give up all his ministry and all that mattered to him, if he became nothing, he would be fine with that. 
in order for Jesus Christ to be exalted. What is important to him is not his role. That is, whatever the role that Jesus has for him, he is more than willing to embrace it with all that he has in order for Jesus to be exalted. And I ask you this morning whether that is true for you. Is it true for me? Are we willing for our own places, maybe small kingdoms, to decrease in order for the kingdom of Christ to increase? If Jesus is the center of ministry, then I would say to you that is not only possible, it is also exactly what we ought to expect. That at places the Lord will disappoint us, the places in which we had placed our hope, where we had thought we would be happiest if these things occur. Instead, the Lord may very often bring into our life not just ministry-related, but in various places in our lives. Maybe we place our hope in our marriage. Maybe we place it in our health. Maybe we place it in our business or in our financial security. And it may be precisely in that place the Lord touches our lives and He says, you must decrease in order for me to increase. If Jesus is in fact the center of our lives, including the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ, let me share with you this very hopeful truth. If this has seemed a little somber to you this morning, this is where that tone changes. Because the more I have thought and reflected on the truth that John the Baptist is giving, the more I see this is not a terrible thing, it is an incredibly good thing. Because if Jesus is the center of ministry, then we do not need to be fearful. We can instead be incredibly expectant of what the Lord will do. If we trust that Jesus is in fact at the heart of the ministry we offer each other, if he is not just the content of that ministry, know that he is working through us to do that ministry, then we are no longer relying on our own strength, our own wisdom, our own power, our own ability to bring it to pass. Instead, we focus on the love of Christ and a willingness to be useful to him in whatever way he calls even if it requires us to be disappointed in the process of that calling. I come knowing in my own life that Jesus can work even when I am not as strong as I believe I need to be. It means that we can see ourselves, friends, as part of God's greater work, not just what we see in front of us, but what God is doing in the world as a whole. We can see that the work of Jesus Christ is greater than even we might perceive if we lived a hundred years. His kingdom is coming. His power on display in places that are unexpected and even perhaps disappointing to us. As I speak these words to you this morning, I think about a couple of things. 
that I would desire for you to pray for in response to this sermon. Really three things. The first is an easy one. It only requires you to remember what's going to happen on January 23rd. Please pray for that conference. The second and third thing are more difficult because it connects with our hearts. Would you also pray that God would give us the grace to see that in our ministry in this church, it is all about Jesus. Not our expectations, not first of all our desires. It is about the ministry of Jesus Christ that we rejoice in the increases and we do rejoice in the increases. But we can also rejoice in the decreases in life as long as Jesus is exalted. Would you pray that you can find that to be true? Not just in your own life, but also in the ministry of this church. And third, and this perhaps most of all, would you pray that as a body of Jesus Christ, we would not only give our attention to Jesus as the center of what we do here, but would you also pray that the Lord would show us that in the strength of Jesus, in His power, His way, His will, His timing, He has so much more planned for this body and Christian ministry than we could ever imagine. You see, the key to John's words is not the disappointment. It is the exaltation of Jesus. Which means that when I speak to you, this to you, it is not with sadness or with resignation or even regret. It is rather with the fullest confidence I could imagine. That in every area of life, but especially the ministry of this body, we can rejoice in whatever our Savior Jesus is doing. Would you bow with me? Father, I confess to you as we read these words that they are somewhat difficult words for us to believe. We want to see our own ministries succeed. We want to see our lives succeed. We want to see the things that matter most to us flourish. And Father, we praise you for the places in which we can see in this body and in our own lives exactly that occurring. But we also can rejoice in this moment, along with John the Baptist, that there are places in which our lives, in the ministry of this church, where we see challenges and difficulties, help us to see them not with fear or anxiety, but with confidence that our God, who gives everything from heaven, is also to work in the places that we find difficult. Father, I praise you as I have praised, praised you many times for this body of believers. I praise you for the church of Jesus Christ as it is found in this community and across the world. And even in times in which we may think the church is struggling, Lord, the confidence of Jesus Christ leads us to praise you that you are King of the church and Lord of lords. And you will do as Jesus said even more than we could ask or imagine according to the power that is at work. And so we pray, Lord, that that is exactly what would occur. That we would see that Christ is coming and his kingdom is here. And we pray that you would give us the joy of seeing it in many 
many places and more than we might even imagine. For we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.